This episode is brought to you by Hostfully. Using Hostfully, you can create a free digital guidebook for your listing so that you can save time creating a professional experience for every guest that comes and visits your spot. Learn more at hostfully.com. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. What's up, everybody? Get paid for your pad, episode 269. First of all, I have to apologize. I, I didn't get to publish an, a podcast episode last week. Uh, life got in the way, but uh, now I'm, I am back. And today's topic of the podcast is uh, my apartment in Cali, in Colombia. I've, I've been getting a lot of questions from people. And it sounds like a lot of people have been following sort of uh, along, along the story of uh, when I bought the penthouse. And, and uh, people know that since August, I've been, I've been renting it out. And, and people are curious to know what the results are. So this whole podcast is dedicated to that. I'm going to share all the results, the numbers, what happens, and there's some interesting, uh, and some interesting things happen. So uh, there's definitely some, some stuff to share. Uh, some good stuff, some not so good stuff. Uh, the whole, it's all in there. So, uh, if you're if you're interested in in how this project is going, then keep listening. And who better to invite on the podcast than Patrick Spanfelner, who manages uh, my property in in Cali? He's the man on the ground, and he's also uh, the manager of uh, of Life Afar, which is the the company that uh, helped me purchase this this unit in the first place. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing great, Jasper. Thank you for having me. How's, how's life in, in Cali? I haven't been since July, July last year. So it's been seven or eight months since I've been there. Uh, I, we had a, I and you as well, we, we both had a pretty good time when I was there. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, it's, hard not to have a <laughs> it's hard not to have fun in Cali. This is... Uh, if Medellin is the city of eternal spring, then Cali is the city of eternal summer. It's raining a little bit today, but we have a beautiful average temperature of about 32 degrees Celsius. And, and to those who've never been in Cali, it's, it's a very tropical city, meaning that we have public palm trees and public mango trees and beautiful mountains. We're close to the Pacific coast and people dress light. The people are pretty and they like to celebrate and have fun. So... The gastronomic scene, the party scene, the nightlife is amazing here, and uh, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I remember when I left in, in July, it took me about a week to recover from all the festivities that I took part of uh, in, in Cali. So, uh, you know, what, what, else, what else can I say? <laughs> um, but that's, uh, let's go back a little bit in time uh, for those who, are, who haven't followed the, the whole story. Back in, I started Airbnb hosting back in 2012 in Amsterdam. I had a, a two-bedroom apartment, and that apartment allowed me to travel the world and support myself. So, that was that was all great, but then in 2017, I decided to sell my apartment because the city of Amsterdam had um, uh, had such strict regulations. I, I could only uh, rent out my apartment for 60 days, which is obviously that's that's not enough. Uh, that's only two months, and so I decided to move my Airbnb business elsewhere. And I'd been traveling for a long time, so I already scoped out some potential uh, locations and I ended up buying three properties and the first one is in Cali in Colombia so that's the one that we're going to be talking about now I purchased it in I think it was April 2018 if I'm no sorry 2017 right after I sold my house um, so I'd already prepared this this uh, be, you know before I sold my house um, so April 2017 I bought it uh, the the bill this it was a building in the, the top apartment in a, in a building that has four floors and uh, FAR International, or I, I think you guys are called Life Afar now, Patrick, right? That is correct. We changed our name to Life Afar. Okay, okay. so Life Afar, uh, previously known or formerly known as FAR International, uh, was uh, the company that I had known since 2014. 
And, uh, you know, I've been, I'd always been following kind of what they were up to and they happened to have this, uh, this building available in, in Cali. So I, I went over, I took a look and it took me about three days to decide to, to buy the property. Actually, uh, actually, I remember you told me, Patrick, I was one of the, the quickest decision makers you, you've ever seen, right? Well, you say three days, I thought it was like 15 minutes. I felt like <laughs> you just walked in there and then you looked around, you stood up on the terrace and then you say, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was right. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I tend to make decisions uh, based on good feeling and, and so this, it felt good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the property is awesome. I mean, it's located in a, a super fun neighborhood. I, I'd say the, the best neighborhood in, in Cali or at least the most trendy one or up and coming. And uh, the property is located just, just in the corner of that neighborhood on a, on a little hill. And so you do have to walk up a little bit, which is, uh, you know, keeps you young. Uh, but it's a small climb up, uh, up the hill. But then also, you know, be, the apartment being on the top floor, it just gives you an excellent view over the neighborhood, but not just the neighborhood, over the whole city, I would say. And so I immediately felt like, okay, you know, having a terrace, in, in such a great neighborhood overlooking the city. I mean, you can't really go wrong with that, right? So, so yeah, I, I decided very quickly. Yeah, it's true. And not only that, like you said, it's an up-and-coming neighborhood, but it's also like a gastronomical kind of a nightlife district. And you don't want to be right in the heart of the action. So this apartment, just being a few blocks away from the nightlife, is really a, a, an attractive feature because you get a quiet night's sleep. And I think that is something that do attract a lot of guests. Absolutely. So uh, just following along the, the timeline, uh, April uh, 2017, I bought it. Now, uh, Life of Fire was going to uh, completely break down the whole building almost. I think the walls uh, may have been the only thing that they, uh, that they kept. And they've completely rebuilt the whole building from the ground up. And so that means that every, it's essentially pretty much a, a completely new building. Um, right, Patrick? Yeah, we found the building. And uh, just to give you a little background story, it was a building with one title, meaning that there was one owner of this entire building with four apartments in it. And we purchased it and we subdivided it, meaning that we got four titles out of it. And that meant that we could sell each unit to a new buyer. But not only that, when we bought the entire building, we changed the homeowners association rules so that we allowed for short-term rentals, which is something that is not very common in Cali, at least. You can find that in Cartagena and many other tourist destinations around the world, but in Cali, this is not very, very common. And one of the disadvantages if you buy a beautiful apartment is in a residential neighborhood with a swimming pool and a gym and all of this, is that most of the neighbors will be very against having short-term tenants in the building. So one of the benefits of doing this through us or, or through the model that we use is that we, we kind of re-zoned the building and allowed it for short-term rentals. And then we sold it to you and you purchased it uh, before renovation. And it took us about a year to renovate and furnish it and we broke everything down. And like you said, we left just more or less just the principal walls of the building. So we changed the plumbing, like the hot and the cold water, we changed the electrical infrastructure, we changed all of the carpentry, we changed the floors, we changed the windows, we changed the roof. We actually raised the ceilings about a meter or so, so you have a very, very uh, cool high ceilings in your apartment. And uh, we changed the facade. We dug in under the building and we changed the foundation of the building. Uh, it was more or less just built on clay. So we dug all of that out and we poured a concrete foundation and then we installed gas in the building. So yeah, you could say that was a pretty complete renovation. Right, and it took you guys about one year to finish that project, a little bit over one year. I think, uh, I think it was ready early June, and that's when, that's when I visited. I, I went to Cali in June 2018, and I stayed at the property for, for about, I think it was like six or seven weeks or so. There was, there was a few things that... that uh, that weren't in order yet. For example, uh, we had a lot of trouble with the internet, right? You remember that? Oh yeah, I remember you uh, posting pictures on Twitter in order to get the internet provider to deliver on time. It's, um, <laughs> it's <laughs> let's just say that it is a common thing here in Latin America that they don't have that sense of urgency that we guys have. And also because um, you not being a resident in Colombia meant that we could not leave the internet plan in your name. So we had to put it in our name and we had to get signatures from Medigen and it was a big mess. But we finally got it sorted out. 
and uh, you got good and solid insurance today. I'm happy to say. <laughs> yeah, I remember that it, it took like uh, damn, it took a long time. It took like two or three weeks or something. And uh, you know, I figured out uh, like like you mentioned, uh, I got a little impatient, and I I've learned a few tricks here and there on the way in life. And uh, I thought, okay, if I if I harass these people enough, then eventually they'll get sick of me and they'll they'll give me my internet, right? So I, I found the, the Twitter account, and I started uploading pictures of. Uh, of, of something that's really slow. I remember a pic uploading a picture of a guy with a really long beard. The beard reached almost uh, the ground. And then I, I wrote the text in Spanish, something like, uh, you know, this is what happens when, when you're waiting for, uh, for, for this company. I can't remember the name of the company, but for waiting for them to install the internet. Chico une. <laughs> Chico une. <laughs> Oh God! And uh, I, I was even I was even mentioning like I asked Patrick for the the name of the the actual contact person and the manager and everything, and I I, uh, I added them on the on the in the tweet on on Twitter as well, you know, so that they could see it, they could get a notification on their personal accounts. Anyway, eventually they uh, they did install the internet, um, and 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 so that was good. And so at, you know, end of July I I left. And, and then the question was, okay, what, what are we going to do with this apartment? Are we going to put this on Airbnb now? Or are we going to do something else with it now? At the time, I had a couple of friends that were, uh, that were actually visiting in Cali. And uh, they really loved my apartment. So they were kind of begging me, like, can we please rent your apartment? And, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. You know, I, I like to make people happy. So I decided to, uh, to allow them to spend a couple months uh, in, in the apartment, but um, it wasn't just generosity on my behalf. It was, there was also a few other uh, considerations. Um, first of all, um, I, I felt like the, the water pressure in, in the building was a little bit low, uh, which, which kind of makes sense because it, it is you know, situated on a hill and also my, my apartment was the top floor. Um, but my, my philosophy is you know, once I start doing Airbnb, I want everything to be perfect. And that's also because I'm really targeting the, you know, the higher end customer. We're charging about $120 on average uh, for, for the apartment, which is quite high compared to, you know, other uh, apartments in, in Cali. I mean, you can probably rent something for like $30, $40, but then you're not, you know, you're not getting the rooftop and, or the, the terrace and, you know, the high, high quality furnishings. Yeah, you can, go as, you can go as low as $15, to be honest. I mean, uh, Cali right. Market, there's definitely a, a low segment, a medium segment, and a high segment. And we're, we're aiming for the premium clients. That's no exactly. And so when you're aiming for premium clients, you know, you need to provide a premium experience. That's, that's what I believe. And so I felt like, you know, with the, uh, with the water pressure not being so strong, I felt like, okay, I'm not able to deliver that premium experience yet. And so having a couple of friends who I, who I know, who I trust, uh, rent the apartment is, uh, is obviously, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna eat into the, you know, the profits a little bit because obviously they're not going to pay uh, 120 bucks a night when they're renting it for two months. Uh, but at the same time, I'll, I'll have some time to, you know, to, to get some experience having people in the apartment and who knows, maybe there's a couple other things missing. You know, I, I think, um, I think these two guys actually pointed out a few other things that were easy, easily fixable. Uh, but, uh, who knows, you know, could have, could have saved us a couple, uh, a couple, uh, you know, sub, subpar reviews. And so that's, that's how we started out. So I think, uh, August and September or even, even October as well. I, I can't remember exactly now. I've, we probably rented it to these guys for three months, didn't we? Yeah, I think until mid, late October, maybe even uh, November 1st, I think uh, your friends were there. And just right. a note on the water pressure. I mean, Jasper, you're one of our uh, good friends and, and, and best investors. So actually, I did Jasper a special favor. We went out and we dug up the entire sidewalk in front of the building and we put in a water pump. Uh, so that it accumulates water and then it sprays it up with extra pressure. So now you have uh, water pressure like you would in any skyscraper or so. So it's a, it's a bulletproof system now. It works really well. And uh, we did that, of course, at no cost uh, to Jasper just to make sure he's happy as uh, an investor with us. Yeah, then, you know, I really appreciate that. So thank you. Um, but, you know, with the, with the water pressure being fixed, uh, I felt like, okay, now, you know, I mean, there was a couple others, really small things, you know, like, for example, a door would open and then would slam into a wall or something when there's a lot of wind. 
you know, there, there was, there's a bunch of other little details I, I remember that, uh, that we fixed. Um, but anyway, in, in November, we were ready to go. And so we, we listed the apartment on, uh, you know, on Airbnb and on all the other platforms that, that you list on Patrick. So just to be clear, um, I decided to, at least uh, for the time being, uh, to, to let uh, Patrick and, and, Le- and Leif Afar uh, manage the apartment so that it, it doesn't cost me any time. Um, it, I think uh, it could work very well because the guys are on the ground. I, I know they're doing a really good job on the ground because I've seen their operations. You know, there's always uh, cleaning ladies available. There's always supplies. And, you know, the, uh, the guys that work uh, for Life of Fire, they're, they're very friendly. They speak good English. And, and so I wasn't worried about uh, that at all. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, my goal is to, to make a 10% net return on this property, right? Um, and so, you know, obviously using a property manager obviously cuts into the, cuts into the profit. But uh, this is how I wanted to start out. And, uh, and so let's, let's go through the different months. So November uh, started off with, on a very positive note because we got a reservation uh, directly, uh, Patrick, through, through your own website, I believe, right? Uh, but there was a really good reservation of over $3,000, uh, which um, um, just for full transparency, uh, the, the price that I paid for the apartment, I just looked it up. Uh, it will, I ended uh, transferring $139,000, uh, which included, by the way, all the, all the costs, the legal costs, uh, and, and you know, essentially everything uh, was paid from that $139,000. And so if you want to make a 10% return on that, uh, that's just under $14,000 or just over $1,100 a month. So getting a $3,000 reservation in the first month um, was pretty, uh, you know, was pretty uplifting. Um, but then, what happened? What happens with that reservation? <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, let's just take it step by step. Yeah, we we just launched your website or your your apartment on our website, and of course, we were excited. It was one of our premium apartments, and we're we're finally going out there and trying to attract some real top dollar paying uh, guests. And we got this beautiful reservation, which was one month. A guy paying three thousand dollars, and I thought it was some sort of top top executive and it was a direct booking meaning that it came through our website and then this young little guy shows up and uh, he was nice but uh, nothing out of his world he seemed like a little uh, ordinary to put it in a simple way and um, everything went well for the first like two or three weeks and then for the last week of his rental he started doing parties he started bringing fireworks up and shooting it from the balcony and one day when our staff came in they noticed that two of the TVs were missing and we were like, what? What happened? You got to bring the TVs back. And he said, oh, we had a, a, a PlayStation tournament at one of my friend's houses and we didn't have enough screens. So we brought them over there. I'll bring them back tomorrow. No problem. And we gave him a few days of leniency and uh, the end of the contract was arriving and he just had not brought the TVs back. And we started getting a little aggressive with him and say, what, what, what is going on? I mean, this is not allowed. And he started, you know, show, sending us pictures of him, how much money he had and I was like, what? Something is uh, fishy here. And then at the same time, this is important to note, at the same time, across the entire organization, we manage more than 220 apartments, and we're starting to see fraudulent reservations in our system, meaning that they were all direct bookings, and they were all some of our finest apartments, and they were all for extended periods of time. And sometimes somebody would show up and enjoy the stay, and other times uh, people would try to cancel last minute and get a refund in cash. And there's just something fishy going on. And when we finally ended up kicking Jasper's tenants out and they hadn't delivered our TVs back, I had to call Jasper and tell him something fishy is going on. And what happens is that in Colombia, the payment processor, meaning that our online payment processor for credit card, on our website, they don't have a fraud detection system that is as fast as maybe PayPal or Airbnb or booking.com has, meaning that people could actually make a reservation, show up, enjoy the stay, and then maybe six to 10 weeks later, we would get a notification saying that this was a fraudulent transaction. So what happened is we kicked these guests out and two weeks after they left, I got a call that we lost to $3,000. And of course we got a credit card dispute going on right now. Not only that, I felt responsible, so I had to buy two new 
flat screen TVs for Jasper's apartment because I'm the operator here. I feel responsible if people steal from the apartment, at least in this kind of situation, I have to feel like I'm responsible for it. Uh, it's different if you go through Airbnb because Airbnb, we automatically uh, demand a $300 deposit, meaning we can always use that deposit to work in order to reimburse us in case of damages or stolen or missing items. Um, so it's been a big mess. The first reservation was a big mess. We still got a dispute going on with the credit card company. We're hoping to at least get some of the money back. In the meantime, that first month cost me almost six, $700 because I had to go in and uh, buy two new TVs for Jasper in order to uh, make sure that he's happy, of course, and make sure that I maintain my reputation as an operator. And also because um, we, we, we shut down the direct bookings now. and We did that as a safety precaution. I think at a national level, we probably lost more than thirty or $40,000 for those two months that it went on, meaning that we had a ton of fraudulent reservations. We suffered a ton of damages. These young guys that showed up and enjoyed their stays in the apartments were not taking care of the properties. Some of them we had to go in and repaint. We had to, I think I actually told you, Jasper, they broke one of the chairs and then I had two different chairs in your apartment. I had to go in and buy two new beautiful chairs for your apartment. So all in all, um, let's just say that we lost a lot of money on that first month. That being said, we, we've disactivated the direct bookings. We do everything through um, the more recognized uh, OTAs now, meaning that we do Airbnb, we do VRBO, we do HomeAway, we do Booking.com, we do TripAdvisor, and so far we have not had a single issue with any of them. So it was a, it was a bouncy ride, and uh, now it looks a lot better. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, a, a bouncy ride. Um, but fortunately, since November, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been going a lot better. Uh, December, January, February, and March. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's early March now, but um, March is actually turning out uh, to be the best month so far, um, which is interesting because March is... Uh, considered low season in Cali, which means that we're getting some traction on Airbnb specifically. And, you know, because when you're starting out in Airbnb, obviously, you know, you have to compete with the other apartments that have more reviews, etc. And so after after this uh, horrendous experience in November, essentially, uh, we started off in, in December, right, on Airbnb. And since December, it's it's been going pretty well, and there's a there's a definitely a, a trend, an upward trend in the amount of uh, the dollar amounts of reservations that we've gotten. But let me uh, let me just quickly dive into the numbers and and see what it looks like, right? So, like I said before, I, you know, I'm looking to make a 10% net return on on uh, on the investment, and that's after all costs, right? So that's after management costs and maintenance, TV, electrical bills, after the fee that I pay to to Patrick and Life Afar uh, for the management uh, work. So uh, the the goal is uh, is thirty thousand nine hundred dollars for the year, which is exactly ten percent. And so what I've done is, since we started renting out in August, I've divided that amount by twelve. And then simply multiplied by the number of months, and that brings me to a target up and including March of nine thousand two hundred and sixty-seven dollars. It's not completely uh, fair because you know, obviously, the first three months I rented out to my friends. Obviously, those months you're you're not going to make as much as as, uh, as you would make on Airbnb. Uh, but I've kind of just uh, you know I've just included all the months to get conservative estimates. So if I'm if I'm making my target, then it's actually it's it's actually going a little bit better. In reality, uh, because I've I've not been doing Airbnb as long as I uh, as I could have, but in any case, my realized profit so far is six thousand two hundred and fifty four dollars versus a target of nine hundred and two hundred and sixty seven. So, you know, I'm about three thousand dollars under target, and that's exactly the amount that we lost in in, in November. You know, there's there's still a chance that uh, we will end up getting this money back. And if that happens, I'm I'm actually right on targets, which is uh, which is pretty awesome. I wasn't sure if I was going to make my target in the first year, right? Because obviously the first the first year of renting out, there's there's always some some stuff that you have to figure out. There's you know you don't get as many bookings in the beginning as 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 you get uh, and when you have a good reputation. But uh, but even even with the the disaster in from November. I think that uh, those three thousand dollars, I might be able to to actually make that up in the next four months. So we're we're including March. I'm I'm eight eight out of twelve months, 
And I think uh, if we get an if we get the same amount of bookings in in April, May, June, and July as we've gotten in March, then we're actually going to be pretty close to to hitting that target. So it's still looking pretty reasonable, even included the, the disaster month in November, assuming that I'm not going to see uh, any revenue in November, which means that November was a negative month because I still have to pay electricity, I still have to pay internet and, and all those other expenses. What else, uh, what else can, we, can we share with the listeners, Patrick? I've, I've got a whole list of questions, by the way, that I'm going to go through. Um, but I just wanted to give Patrick an opportunity to, uh, to share other things if I, if I missed anything. Okay, I think there's one thing that's important to note before we get to the questions is that Jasper, his um, apartment was sold to him with an estimate of $100 a night in revenue. And the reality is right now that for March, we're doing $117 as an average nightly rate, which is great because that means that we are exceeding expectations on the average nightly rate. It also means that we will need less occupancy in order to hit the numbers that we've been telling Jasper that we could hit. It also means that if we don't exceed the occupancy, then at least we're going to have less consumption of electricity and of water for the days that the apartment is occupied. So we estimated, I think, 60 or 65% occupancy. The reality is that with the average nightly rate that we're doing right now, we will be hitting your numbers with just about 50% occupancy, which is great. Also, Jasper, I think you should not underestimate your own little uh, knowledge, so to speak, in this area. You called us and you told us that you wanted more pictures of the apartment, different angles. You wanted different pictures of the view. You wanted more pictures of the neighborhood, of the nightlife, of the restaurant. And we got in a professional photographer to help you out with this. And I think that has helped as well. Also, one of your recommendations was to always put captions on the pictures on your Airbnb profile, which we did. So I think all of this accumulated, plus the momentum of the five-star reviews that we've been getting has helped uh, this apartment really starting to perform in March. Right. And we've, we've been getting pretty good reviews, have we? Only five-star so far. Only five stars so far, exactly. So, no, that's, that's, definitely, uh, that's definitely true. I think, uh, you know, when you, when you purchase a new property and you just you know you're starting to list on airbnb it, it's going to take a couple months you know before you're getting good traction i remember my apartment in amsterdam i think the first six months and uh, no that the second six months period i actually made double of what i made in the first uh, six months period and that's just because you know when you have an a unit that has like 25 five-star reviews you can charge significantly more than when you when you have like one or two reviews. That's just how Airbnb works, right? And so I'm I'm quite positive also, just just like yourself, Patrick, because I know that if in the first couple of months people are willing to pay 120 bucks a night, I'm pretty positive that uh, about six months from now we'll probably be able to charge 150 and and maybe even a little bit higher the year the year after. Because there's always people that will look on Airbnb and they see an apartment that has a ton of five-star reviews and, and just, they just don't care if it's like 120 or 150 or 180. You know, they just want to make sure that their experience is good and the best way for them to, um, you know, the best predictor uh, for a great experience is the number of five-star reviews that a property has. So I'm pretty positive looking into the future. I think 50% occupancy we can, we can pretty much reach uh, the goal, you know, I think we can raise the price in the future, and I think we can get that occupancy up to up to seventy, eighty percent as well. And you know, once we get to that, the, those numbers, then obviously the the targets are are going to be blown blown out of the way. But let's not uh, count our uh, chickens until they've until they've hatched. Uh, let's not count. Uh, there's another expression about bears. I can't remember what it is. Do you, do you remember that? <laughs> Now, let's not uh, shoot the bear. No, let's not sell the skin before the bear's been shot. I think that's the way. Let's not sell the fur before the bear has been shot. That's exactly what, what it is. Hi, my name is Margot, and I'm the CEO of Hostfully. We are on a mission to make local travel a lot better, and we're starting with digital guidebooks to make that happen. Using Hostfully digital guidebooks, which work great on any mobile device, on desktop, and in print, you can share important property information and local recommendations with your guests. You can also save time and create a great guest experience that each traveler will appreciate. Hostfully guidebooks are very fast to make and we've included some advanced features where you can feature your custom logo, your colors, custom categories, and essentially your brand. Please take a chance to check us out at hostfully.com. 
let's go to questions. So I've got, I've got quite a few, and, and a lot of them are pretty interesting questions, and I'm glad that you were here, Patrick, because some of these uh, can only be answered by you. And so there we go. Let's go to the first question. And these questions are actually submitted by Alex, who uh, runs an amazing property in Bali and who you probably hear from in the future because he and, he, he and I have actually been talking about some, uh, some collaboration and, test and trying some different strategies. Um, but anyway, here's, uh, here's Alex's question. So the first question is, what has been your biggest barrier to purchase in Colombia? Or any red flag that you are not told <clears throat> that you were not told, but you have to face when you're in the pro in the process. So the the biggest barrier to purchase in Colombia, well, you know, to be to be really honest, I I didn't really have a lot of barriers because um, Life Afar actually made it very easy for me. Uh, it it is a pretty uh, complicated process, I have to say. You know, to wire money to Colombia, for example, it has to go through like a brokerage account, and the, even the central bank is involved, and there, you know, the the, the 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 currency has to be exchanged. It's a, it's not as simple as wiring money from Europe to the U.S. And I'll I'll give you a chance to 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 speak on this uh, on this topic, uh, Patrick, in a second. Um, but for me, as a as a as a customer, for me, it was actually very simple. Uh, Life of Art simply provided uh, the you know all the all the documents. Uh, it was very easy because they were, they filled in all the information already. So I just had to put the signature. I did at some point have to go to the Colombian embassy in Amsterdam. I'd say that was probably one of the biggest uh, hassles because you know how embassies work. Uh, well, they don't don't really work. So you know it means like. You know, they're, they're almost never open or like just a few hours a day and you have to make an appointment and, uh, you know, people are really slow, all that kind of stuff. So I'd say that was a, that was a bit of a, a, a bit annoying. I had to go to that embassy, especially because, you know, I was in Taiwan when I had to sign these documents and Taiwan doesn't have a Colombian embassy. So uh, once, I, once I got back to Amsterdam, I was able to, to get all the documents done. But I think, uh, you know, I, I think getting the documents at the embassy and then I, I'd say the biggest barrier was probably a mental barrier. You know, I mean, you know, when I bought my apartment in Amsterdam, it's, it feels very comfortable. It feels very, very safe. You know, I've, I've lived in Amsterdam for years. It's, it's my country. And, and I, I, you know, I'm very confident that I, when I transfer money to, to a bank and there's a notary involved, that the property is actually going to be mine. Right now, when I transfer one hundred and forty thousand dollars to Colombia, even though you know working, the reason why I work with Life Afar is because I've no, I've known these guys since two thousand and fourteen. Uh, I personally know the 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 founder uh, and CEO, um, Rich Holman. Shout out to Rich Holman uh, if if he's listening. I hope you're doing well, Rich. Uh, but um, you know, I, I know the owner personally, and I've seen what these guys have done. I've seen their properties in Medellin. I've actually worked with them a bit. I've helped them uh, a little bit with the uh, with the Airbnb uh, listings back in 2014 when I was writing my book. But still, you know, you tra you're transferring a lot of money to a country that you're not very familiar with. That I've spent you know less you know less than five weeks in, and that's that's a scary thing to do. Um, but uh, you know, there's. I guess there's not much you can do about that. Um, I, I was willing to to take the gamble. Um, first of all, because I, I do believe that uh, you know, in order to live your life well, you you have to be willing to take some risks sometimes and get out of your comfort zone and do something that uh, you know that that can be a little bit scary. So uh, I'd say that was the mental barrier was probably the biggest barrier that I faced. Um, Patrick, do, do you have anything to comment on that? Uh, yes. I would like to say there are two ways of buying in Colombia. You can buy it through us or you can do it yourself. And I agree that the mental barrier is absolutely one of the biggest barriers. But I also want to say that if you want to come here and you purchase on your own, there's a lot of hoops that you need to go through. And like you said, if you don't have an ID, you can't open a bank account. But I don't recommend you transferring money directly to the seller's account. So you would have to open a brokerage account first. Then you got to register your investment with the central bank. Every four dollars or every four euros you bring into the country, or for every one thousand you pay four to the government as a financial tax, and then there's the whole hassle with the notary. 
Then there's the whole hassle of buying and renovating and subdividing and all of those things that I don't even want to go into. So it's not like it's an easy process. But one of the things that we do at Life of Bar is make it hands off. So we try to tell our investors, all you have to do is wire us the money, sign the paperwork, and tell us where do you want us to send your income to. And that's what we did with Jasper. Yeah, sure, it was a little uncomfortable. You had to take out a couple of hours of his day, go down to the notary or at the embassy and have it notarized in front of the ambassador, the document, the purchasing contract, and the rest of it I took care of. So it means I signed the contract at the notary with Jasper's power of attorney, meaning that on his behalf, I put the property in his name. And at the same time, he authorized a couple of documents that meant that I could do short-term rentals in the building, meaning that I have to register it with the Ministry of Tourism. And of course, I helped him legalize his payments here in the country. We helped him open the brokerage account. So there was a couple of steps involved. It wasn't like uh, super hard for us because we do it every day, but for an outsider and somebody who doesn't speak Spanish, yes, it could be intimidating, it could be a challenge. I do feel like uh, for an outsider investing through life far, the way that Jasper did it, it was, it was fairly easy and transparent. Um, and of course, you can elaborate on that, Jasper. But uh, one of our objectives as a company is make it as easy as possible for foreigners to invest in Colombia. Well, and, and that's also why I chose to go this route. <clears throat> you know, I mean, uh, of course, I, I know that if I go to Colombia by myself and I find a property myself, I buy it myself, I do everything myself, you know, obviously I'm going to save a, a bunch of money. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm buying a, a ton of hassle and uh, I like to keep things, you know, as hassle-free as possible while, while still achieving my goals in terms of profitability, right? So if I can make an investment and I get 10% profitability without any hassle and without having to do any work on it, then uh, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, but of course, the, the, the future will tell. But uh, yeah, like Patrick says, uh, on my end, it was not very much hassle. And when I hear Patrick speaking, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to do all those things. Um, but let's go to, <laughs> let's go to the, next, uh, the next question. Um, next question is, what if LifeFR loses the license? So um, Patrick, how, how does it work exactly? Because does uh, this, this the license, the short-term rental license that you need in Colombia to rent out, is that, uh, does that apply to my uh, little apartment or is the, does it apply to you as a company, as a, a life of fire as a company? Okay, so there are two aspects to it. One thing is when you have a residential building, meaning that you have an apartment in a residential building, then you need to have a homeowners association rule that allows for short-term rentals. So the first thing, remember, when we bought the building was to change the homeowners association rules and we changed it such that it takes a 100% vote to change those rules. That means that if there are four apartments in the building, one or two or three owners even, cannot go in and change the homeowners association rules to prohibit the short-term rentals. This is very important, okay? Because Jasper, he purchased this apartment with the intention to rent on short contracts. And if he can't do that, well, then he kind of loses the objective. So that was number one. The second deal is that you have to register with the Ministry of Tourism. It's called Registro Nacional de Turismo. So it means a register of national tourism. You need to have this register for your apartment and you need to comply with certain aspects. And can you lose this register or this license? Certainly you can. And it means that you need to have the fire squad out. They need to make sure that there's a fire extinguisher. You need to have the people out from a, the health department to make sure that we fumigate the apartment. I mean, there's certain aspects that we need to comply with, but it is nothing out of this world. And then, of course, us as an operator, I need to have the same license, the same RNT uh, that allows me to administrate vacation rentals. Again, yeah, there's a couple of hoops I need to jump through. It's nothing out of this world. Everybody who works in tourism needs to have this license, meaning whether you administrate a vacation rental, whether you have a tour operating agency, whether you sell airline tickets, you need to have the RNT, Registro Nacional de Turismo. And like I said, there's a few things that you need to comply with, but it is nothing out of this world. And I do not expect that we will lose this license. One of the reasons they do this, of course, was in order to formalize the industry a little bit, meaning that in a lot of residential communities, they were fed up with the informal, from informality of the short-term rentals. And also, they wanted to make sure that the tourists that come to Colombia have a good experience, that they stay in a safe place, 
that they stay in a place that's, uh, what do you call it, health-wise uh, taken care of, meaning that we have clean bed sheets. You know, we do take care of the, of, of the cockroaches. We do take care of the maintenance. We do make sure that the water tank and the water pump is maintained. Just all of these little things that we need to take care of. We make sure that there's emergency lighting in the hallway so that if there's energy shortage and a lightning strikes into the building and there's a fire, well, then you can still find the fire exits. I mean, there's small, simple steps that we need to take in order to comply. Do I see ourselves losing that license? No. But if we do lose it, that means we do go informal and we would not be operating legally. So I hope this answers the question. Okay, so the short answer to the question is, you know, what, what, if, what if you guys lose the license, then essentially we can't do short-term rentals anymore, right? Yeah, that means I'm out of business. I need to find another job. <laughs> <laughs> and so the question is, what would I do? I would have to find another operator. Or I, have to, I would have to get the license myself. Or I run it illegally, or I start renting it out uh, long term. I guess you know that's the alternative. Well, when I choose these properties, one of the rules uh, for for me to decide if I if I'm going to buy something or not, one of the most important rules is you know what's the alternative? What if for some reason I cannot do Airbnb anymore? I mean, who knows? Maybe Colombian government will you know completely prohibit uh, short-term rentals. I mean, not, you know anything can happen, right? And so the alternative is. Well, alternative number one is I rent it out long term. Would people want to rent this place long term? Well, I'm pretty sure because you know I, I hadn't even left my apartment, or my friends were already asking me like, "Hey, can we please rent it?" And obviously, you know, I'm probably not going to make that uh, make that ten percent, but you know, I'll I'll make like seven percent or maybe eight percent. So I'm still, you know, I'm still not completely screwed. Uh, and then the the other alternative, of course, is you know, what if I what if I just I can always decide to move it myself, right? I mean, if I have to live in, in my penthouse in Cali, in Colombia, uh, for, for, let's say, like a couple of years or something, or, or maybe even longer, then, uh, you know, that's not the end of the world. Uh, I will have to party a little bit less than I did last time I was there, uh, because otherwise I won't survive for long. But, uh, but still, that's, that's always an option. At least I have a place to, to live. If everybody, uh, if everyone, if the world uh, falls apart, I can still go to Colombia. I can live in my in my penthouse, and I can probably live off, you know, five hundred dollars uh, a month for, you know, maybe maybe a thousand dollars a month. You can still comfortably live in Colombia. So it's almost like a you know worst case scenario alternative as well. All right, let's uh, go to the next question. How confident are you to resell? quick with a profit. Well, you know, I really didn't buy this uh, uh, to, to sell it quickly. Um, I, I would like to keep it for, for as long as it's, for as long as I don't need the money, I guess. And, you know, I haven't invested all my money into these properties because I think if you're buying a, a property, it's, it's a lot of research, a lot of time, a lot of investment. And so you really don't want to sell it uh, unless you're a house flipper or something. You know, I, I wouldn't want to sell it or at least at least five, probably ten, and possibly even more, even longer. I mean, it's a great property, so why would I sell it? Um, you know, as long as it makes a decent profit, I, I'll I'll I won't be looking at selling it. Um, next question: Does does uh, life of our orphan guarantee if they lose the license? Uh, I I I don't think you do, do you? No, there is there is no guarantee that we will not lose our license. I mean, like I said before, you know, you you have to be willing to take a little bit of risk. Um, all right, let's see. Yeah, Next uh, and, and this is not a little mom and pop operation, so to speak. I mean, we're 120 employees now, so that means 120 employees would go out of business. So um, th th that would be serious issues for us. It's something we take very, very, very serious to operate legally and to do it right and make sure that we have good investors and also to make sure we take good care of their properties. And of course, in order to do that, we take very good care of our guests. So it, it is a full circle, so to speak. Uh, you paid cash. Why is why this strategy when you could have had the same return with a mortgage elsewhere? So that's a really good question, and that's something that I uh, uh, that I looked into. You know, I I so the, here's the issue: I can't get a mortgage. I cannot even get a mortgage in Holland because I walk into a bank and they ask me, "Well, uh, what's your job?" And I, I say, "Well, I run a podcast, and uh, you know, I wrote a book, and." Uh, there's a lot of stuff on the side, a little bit of uh, hustling here, hustling there. Bank employee will look at me 
and be like, uh, what? Then he'll say like, can I see your, you know, your salary, uh, your income statements for, for the last couple of months? And, you know, then I have an apartment in, in Colombia and in the Philippines and in Thailand and do some coaching here, do some stuff there. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a mess. Uh, but essentially the answer is no, you, you do not get a mortgage. Um, so I can't get a mortgage. Now, I, I don't know if I would be able to get a mortgage in Colombia, but it doesn't really matter because the, the rates are so high. I don't, know what they are. I don't know what they are, probably like uh, 10, 11, 12, maybe higher. And so obviously, yep. there's, no, there's no point getting a mortgage if the, if, if the mortgage rate is higher than the profitability that you're targeting, right? Well, if you're a foreigner here and you don't have a steady income stream, which is the problem you have, um, then you won't get a, a, a loan in Colombia. And also, your income, for instance, I, I'm a Danish citizen, but I live in Colombia as a resident, and I don't, even though I have an income in Denmark, they don't care about that income. They want to see that your income is in Colombia. And even if you get approved, I mean, my neighbor pays 1.5% a month. That's 19% a year for his mortgage. And of course, you can be a better client. You can get it down to maybe 9, 10, 11, 12%. But still, it takes away the profitability. Colombia, from, from my perspective, is a cash buyer's market in order to be really attractive. Unless you're one of the lucky few who has a line of credit, or maybe you can do a home equity loan at home. So let's say you have a house at home, you owe $200,000 on it, but it's a $500,000 property. So maybe you could do a home equity loan, meaning you pull out $100,000 or $200,000, and then you would pay 3 or 3 or 4% maybe. Uh, interest on that part of the home equity loan and then you can use that money to invest in Colombia that would be the way to go but don't come to Colombia looking for a loan unless you have an established income here and unless you're willing to pay insane interest rates yeah and so the, the real way to to make money is to borrow in the US or in Europe at three four or five five percent and then use that money to purchase in Colombia but that's that's not possible I don't think I don't think there's any bank in the US or in Europe that will give you a mortgage and then will allow you to invest that money outside the country. Uh, I, I, I haven't heard of that. If, if you do know an option there, then please email me and I'll happily, uh, I'll happily borrow a, a million dollars and, and go invest it in, uh, in some, some countries around the world. All right, let's see. Uh, next uh, question. Uh, how do you finance your other investments? So. You know, all, all the free properties that I bought, I've paid with cash. And that cash came from the sale of my apartment in Amsterdam. And the last question is, uh, overall, do you stick to a rule best practice when it comes to investing cash? Um, like, for example, never more than X percentage of available cash assets. I, I guess for me, uh, the rule when I'm investing cash is, is one of the big rules is uh, the one I've already mentioned, right? It's it's like I look at okay, is there is there an opportunity to to do short term rentals right now? Is there a possibility? If yes, is that possibility likely to uh, be taken away by the local authorities in the future? So in, Col in Colombia's case, they've already established a pretty strict short term rental uh, regulations, right? And so you know, I don't really expect it to get much stricter than this. You already have to have a license. You have to, the building, you know, the homeowner association, you know, the, 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 the foreign, the ministry is already involved so much that I can't see it getting much stricter. Um, but if I were to, you know, invest in a, in a, in a city, for example, somewhere like in California or elsewhere in the U S and there's no regulations yet. Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta think what about in, in next year or two years or three years from now? Right, because I think a lot of places in the Western world are are following the examples that have been set by Amsterdam, Paris, London, but in the U.S. also look at Santa Monica, look at San Francisco, look at New York. You know, all these all these cities are cracking down on on Airbnb and short term rentals. So if you invest in a place where there's no regulations yet, you you have to wonder how long is that going to stay that way, right? So. If, if you're investing in, in a place where regulations are already in place and you're still able to do it, then, you know, that to me, at least that, you know, it feels, feels a lot safer. So that's a, that's, that's one rule. And then, like I said before, what, what are the alternatives? Like, could I be renting this long-term to long-term renters? Uh, would I enjoy staying there myself? You know, those are, those are some other considerations. And then, you know, the, the other rules, 
is has to has to do with uh, with profitability, right? Just analyzing the market, uh, thinking about who's your target audience going to be, um, all that all that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, as a, as a general rule or best practice, uh, I, I I would never buy something that I don't want to stay in myself. I would never buy something if if I'm not uh, quite positive that short-term renting is going to be uh, a legal option in in the in the near future. Yeah, I guess those are the main rules. I guess. Okay, so let's go to. I think there's a few more questions on my blog. And by the way, if you if you want to read the whole my whole analysis of you know why I bought this property, the the research that I did, uh, go to getpaidforyourpet.com and click on the blog, and then scroll down a bit. On the on the top the top blog right now is actually uh, about my property in the Philippines in Carabao Island, which which is opening up in April next month. So that's quite exciting. Uh, there was quite a bit of a delay there. Uh, but if you scroll down a little bit, you, you'll see a blog post, why I bought a penthouse in Cali, Colombia to rent on Airbnb. And then if you click on it, you'll see that uh, there's a lot of information. There's uh, I've updated it uh, recently and I'm going to update it uh, after I publish this podcast as well. So you'll be able to... Uh, see all the information, all the numbers, and et cetera, that I've, uh, that I've shared. Um, so you can all review that in the blog post. And the first question by Daniel, uh, I've been looking at Fars site, are prices negotiable? And the second question, if you did want to use a mortgage, do they help with that? Oh, those are the two questions. So are prices no- negotiable and can they help getting a mortgage? I think we've already answered the mortgage question. It's just not really, it's not really you don't really want to get a mortgage in Colombia. That's, that's the bottom line. So our price is negotiable, Patrick. Well, our sales prices are not negotiable, to be honest. And, and of course, there's a profit calculator for us in that, and meaning that you could have probably saved yourself maybe twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 by coming down here and doing it by yourself. That being said, in order to find a building where you could do short-term rentals, you would have had to buy the entire building by yourself. You would have had to subdivide it. You would have to renovate it. You would have to furnish or buy something from scratch. But also having that margin, meaning that I earned a little bit of a profit, means that, hey, Jasper, your two TVs got stolen. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. Hey, Jasper, your water pressure is not okay. Hey, Jasper, I'll take care of it. So, I mean, that leaves me a margin. You know, I, I, I eat too. I sleep too. I also have two kids. So, <laughs> no. Uh, the price at Life of Fire not negotiable. If you do come to Colombia and look to buy your own property, of course they're negotiable. Um, so I hope this answers the question. Uh, I think it certainly does. So next question, is it hard to get a mortgage in Colombia? So we've talked, okay, we covered that already. Uh, if I was wondering if Fire also has some property opportunities in other cities in Colombia, such as Cartagena, Medellin, Bogota, or are you mainly based in Cali? So I, I've, I've only... I've got my only apartment in Colombia is in Cali, but uh, I, I do think, Patrick, uh, you, I'll let you answer this, but I think there's other places where you guys have opportunities to know. Yes, we operate in four markets in Colombia, so Cali is by no means our only market. We have two business models, meaning that we have the one we call TIP, Turnkey Investment Property, that is a unit like the one Jasper bought, meaning that he owns the unit 100% outright. He could choose to live there full-time, part-time, none of the time. He could choose to have us administrate it or to administrate it himself or outsource it to a third party. So we got 20-something apartments in Cali. Four of them are the tips, meaning that they have an owner. The other ones are our crowdfunded projects or third-party properties. And some of our uh, third-party properties includes my apartment. Some of the crowdfunded projects includes uh, like apartment hotels. So we buy a full building and we turn it into Airbnb units. And instead of owning a unit in your name, you own a percentage of the entire project. And so we got 20-something apartments in total in Cali. We got 100-something in Medellin, which is our biggest market in Colombia. We got 60-something apartments in Bogota, and we got 20-something apartments in Medellin. And no, sorry, in Cartagena. And overall, we got about 100 apartments undergoing renovation right now in Colombia. Then the fifth city or the fifth destination we're opening has been San Juan, Puerto Rico in the Caribbean. And we've just signed and we just crowdfunded a project of about $16 million there, which we will begin renovations of shortly. So five cities all in all in Latin America right now and looking to expand. Awesome. So that probably answers that question. 
Um, let's see. I think the other questions are all have already been answered. I think we've we've covered quite a lot, haven't we? <laughs> it's been over an hour. So um, if if you do have any other questions, then uh, feel free to shoot me an email at jasper at getpaidforyourpet.com or go to getpaidforyourpet.com, go to the blog section and uh, find the blog post, Why I Bought a Penthouse in Cali, Colombia. And there uh, you, you'll probably find an answer to your questions as well because it's a, it's a pretty, pretty extensive uh, blog post. Um, Patrick, anything, anything else that we need to talk about or should we, uh, should we leave it at this? No, I mean, I think one thing I wanted to mention when you talked about what happens if, if, if I can't do my short-term rentals in the future, I think it's important to understand that you have a super, you paid $139,000. I mean, what would you get for $139,000 in Amsterdam? A studio, maybe a parking lot? I don't know. What, what do you get, Jasper? Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much nothing. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. A, park, a, parking, a space to park your car. I think a, a small studio, maybe you can get a tiny studio, but I, I doubt it. I think studios in Amsterdam probably start around 200, maybe 250. And would that be the most attractive area of town? No, definitely not. So there you go. You paid $139,000. So even in the worst case that we should lose this license to do short-term rentals, you still have a top floor, beautiful two-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment with a view all over the city located in the best neighborhood. I mean, I think that, no, you don't buy this apartment and flip it the next day and earn a profit because then you would have to do it yourself. But to hold on as a long-term investment, Cali is still one of the most underappreciated real estate markets in the world. And I think it's important for people to understand that. And even if you want to combine that with a lifestyle choice, meaning coming here and spending some time, I mean, we have amazing nightlife. We have beautiful people. We have amazing food. I mean, the restaurant scene is just growing and growing and getting more interesting every single time. We're surrounded by nature. So we've got beautiful mountains. We're close to the Pacific coast where you can surf and see the whales. And this is a downhill biking destination. This is a bird watching, top bird watching destination in the world. And this is a salsa, uh, you know, destination for people who like to dance and have fun. As soon as more people come and get their eyes up for what a beautiful destination this is, uh, Prices are going to move in the right direction, and you're not going to regret having paid 139,000 for your unit. <laughs> well, that's sense. one thing I guess I can I can comment on as well is, you know, I when I buy a property, I I don't buy it because I expect price appreciation. Uh, I simply look at you know how much do I think I can make. Uh, I want to make 10% after after cost, and you know if I think that's doable, then you know from a profitability perspective, that's uh, that is then an, an investment that qualifies. Um, but I don't like to gamble on house prices in general. Um, I, th- I know I, I know a lot of people who seem to think that you know buying a house is an investment because the price is always going up. And you know, yeah, if you look at the last like 20, 30 years or so, or maybe even longer, over the long term, prices do tend to go up. Uh, but in the in the on the shorter term, uh, that's that's not the case at all. I mean, uh, obviously, if if you would have bought a an, a house in in two thousand seven somewhere. In, in the US or in Europe, then there's a good chance that five, five years later, you were still, you were still lower than, uh, than where you bought it, right? So yeah, maybe in the very long term, there's, you know, prices tend to go up. I mean, there's inflation as well, of course. Um, but uh, I don't like to gamble at that. But of course, I do think about it. I do consider it, right? And so one of the reasons that I think there's a lot of upside in emerging markets when it comes to real estate is because because of the, the, the mortgage market, right? Uh, in Colombia, you, you know, with the mortgage rates being so high and the, the restrictions are, are so strict, you know, it's so hard to get a mortgage there. That means that you know, there, there's a lot of room, uh, there's a lot of upside, right? What if, what if that mortgage market develops and turn, turns into um, you know, a mortgage market like you see in Europe or the US? I mean, it's gonna be a while before it gets that mature, but. But surely, if uh, if mortgage prices go down a bit and the and the restrictions go down a bit, then uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for upside there. Whereas in in Europe and the U.S. and some other developed markets in Asia, you know, you look at the you look at the real estate prices versus versus what you can versus what you can rent it for, and you look at the the mortgage rates. I mean, how much room is there is there left? 
when, when you can borrow at like 3% or 4% for, for 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, I don't see those markets rates going down much more than that. Um, it tells me that, and I mean, I do see them go up, by the way. I do think there's a reasonable chance that mortgage rates will go much higher, which means that house prices will come down, right? So in, in, in the Western world and the developed world, I, I do see a, a risk, uh, a downside risk. Um, and whereas in the emerging markets, I see, I see more of an upside risk. Uh, now, of course, I, you know, I could be, I could be totally wrong and there, there's, there's uh, uh, you know, a, a currency exchange risks involved as well. And of course, none of, any of this of what I'm saying, none of this is financial advice, by the way, of course. So, you know, do your own research, make up your own mind. Uh, but that's just, that's just my opinion. All right. So I think we've been talking for a long time. Patrick, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. I know you're, you're pretty busy with, uh, with all, managing all those apartments there in Cali and Colombia. So good luck with everything. And uh, let's hope that uh, six months from now we can paint a, a, a much rosier picture of, uh, of, of the results as well. <laughs> My pleasure, Jasper. Always good talking to you, and uh, I hope to see you in Cali soon again. All right. Thanks a lot, Patrick, and thanks for to the listeners. And uh, next week and the weeks after that, every week there's going to be a podcast. I've got a lot of recordings in the can now, so I'll, I'll make sure not to miss uh, a single week. So thanks for listening, and until next time. Yeah.